1: Very warm welcome to Squatbox. Let's give you some headlines this Thursday morning. The U.S. stock markets, well, they closed a wild trading day, way off session lows. The S&P 500 dropped as much as 1.6% before recovering as crypto volatility spilt over into equities. Well, Bitcoin, as I mentioned, plunged just 30% before breakfast, then rebounded sharply in the afternoon as prominent bulls moved to prop up the world's largest digital currency.
2: The Fed walks the taper tightrope as minutes reveal several governors suggest tightening at some time. While on this side of the Atlantic, ECB Vice President Louis de Quindos tells CNBC they will act appropriately.
3: The increase in yields is unwarranted. Then, uh, you know, we will we will act. If the increase in yields is the consequence of the normalization of the economy, then you know it's something that uh, is going to be part of, uh, let's say, broader framework.
0: And the EU agrees provisionally to open its borders to fully vaccinated non-European citizens. It's a move that could allow British and American tourists to head to the bloc for the summer season. Plus,
1: the French finance minister Bruno Le Maire acknowledges shortfalls in the EU's COVID response, telling CNBC in a First On interview that the rest of the year will be crucial it's time to have the European recovery plan being implemented too, but I remain confident that even if we are facing difficulties in the implementation of the European decisions, we must have in 2021 a very good economic year
0: all over Europe.
1: good morning thank you for getting up early to watch us if you're in europe thank you for staying up late if you're somewhere else around the world karen good morning to you good morning to see you again so there i was doing other work for cnbc yesterday morning and there's you and jeff running around looking at what was an absolutely extraordinary session. I missed it. Unfortunately, um, I did some other interesting stuff later on, which we'll come to a little bit later on. But you're going to cover the Bitcoin stuff in a few moments' Mm -hmm. time, which was just quite stunning to watch as well. I'm going to cover the markets, um, and the more traditional markets, shall I say, as well. Uh, And these moves were really very paltry. Look, nothing to see on the uh, Nasdaq. S&P down just three-tenths, Dow down five-tenths of a percent as well. But let me just show you one of the uh, – the, well, actually, the U.S. market sank mostly before raising those losses in a wild session on Wall Street yesterday. There you go. Let's move on to the, the next chart. <laughs> that was the read they put in for me. I forgot they put it in. It's it a bit mealy-mouthed, really. Uh, and mealy-mouthed is actually all we want to go with because you sold off because of this, the interesting stuff that Karen's going to talk to you about in a few moments time. the Bitcoin bits and bobs. But you also sold off, according to Karen's headline, because about the Federal Reserve potentially tightening at some stage. Well, it was the the old J power line, isn't it? Well, we haven't even begun thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, potentially when we're going to raise interest rates. And it felt like that a bit yesterday. The bit that got you all excited is this bit, and I will read it and I make no apologies. And you can have a look at the S&P session while I'm at it, actually. Why don't you do that? A number of participants suggested that if the economy continued to make rapid progress towards the committee goals, and this is the key bit, it might be appropriate at some point. Uh, in upcoming meetings to begin discussing a plan for adjusting the pace of asset purchases. Look at the caveats in that statement. Somebody worked hard on their tautology there to make sure it wasn't too conclusive. At some stage, some of the participants might consider appropriate in upcoming to potentially begin discussing. Oh, come on, guys. And you sold off on the back of that? But the S&P did anyway, rallied, 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 rallied into the close. Let's look at the Nasdaq as well. Again, decent rally into the close off the lows of the session, which you saw uh, early on there. U.S. futures, what are they looking like for the start of uh, this session ahead? Uh, I can show you that... uh absolutely no volatility whatsoever. All is calm once again. Karen?
2: And you know, we're calling this Wild Wednesday, but on the crypto market, it was almost like the Wild West. We saw a lot of trades get slaughtered in the session that we've had the last 24 hours. And here we are this morning, trade. You can see the number on the charts just above the, the 39,000 handle now. Bitcoin has recovered some of its losses after it slumped to its lowest level since January in a volatile trading day. The digital currency is under pressure after Chinese regulation has warned financial institutions not to accept it as payment uh, just to give you a sense of the trading price you know we've got down to thirty-four thousand. so the volatility very much in the price and the percentage swings are somewhat huge we saw effectively the declines wednesday the biggest daily percentage moves in more than a year so jeff there was uh, plenty to talk about including the changing ecosystem that china is determining around who can do what on the financial institution side with crypto
0: yeah, and there were another couple of interesting layers here. Uh, one obviously was Elon Musk, uh, tweeting about his diamond hands, which uh, apparently means that he hasn't sold his position which is fascinating and I guess was a crumb to those who are still thinking they should be hanging on to their Bitcoin positions right now. And the other one was some interesting comments from a PBOC speaker discussing whether it is getting closer to the time when the Chinese authorities should be floating the yuan. Now, on the face of that, that doesn't appear to be connected. But of course, those who look at Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as a medium of exchange will understand that there is another depth provided by the idea that the Chinese authorities allow their own currency now to float, given that they're very focused on the yuan for domestic transactions and potentially even then, if they do go down that road, for international Transactions. Where does that leave your cryptocurrencies then? But let's get to Arjun, who joins us now from southern China. He's got a whole lot more on why these currencies have been doing what they're doing, if they're currencies at all, Arjun.
4: Yeah, that's right, Jeff. That's uh, all part of the debate. I actually think that the China angle to this is a bit of a red herring because, yes, the Chinese have come out and said that, look, financial institutions shouldn't be getting involved in the cryptocurrency business. But there's not really much new about China's stance here. They've been taking a hard line on the cryptocurrency market since 2017. Now, what's interesting is that back in around 2015, China accounted for around 90% of Bitcoin trading in the world. So the Chinese trade had the ability to move the market on significant China news. But since about late 2017, they're basically just an irrelevant part of the market. At this point, it's incredibly difficult for, for as a, just a, a regular sort of trader, to trade this stuff. It's You've got to go through a lot of hoops uh, and uh, in order to trade Bitcoin in the Chinese market at this point. So really, I think this is just uh, the news around some of this regulation is really about some of the broader debates around regulation globally on Bitcoin uh, and other cryptocurrencies at this point. I think really the selling started about seven, eight days ago when Elon Musk decided that Tesla would no longer accept Bitcoin for purchases of its cars. You saw a huge drop on that particular day and often what you do see of course in the crypto markets is this kind of snowball effect and capitulation at points during some of these uh, big bull runs as well we saw it back in Jan. We saw it three or four times during the bull run in t- 2017 uh, as well. And so what happened is because of the fact you've got a lot of retail traders, you get a lot of panic selling. And what's new, I guess, this time around is the fact there are larger institutional investors involved. And uh, JP Morgan put out a note saying that they saw flows out of Bitcoin, which some proponents call digital gold, into actual gold uh, as well. Clearly, uh, some of the institutions uh, favoring traditional gold over. For Bitcoin at this point. So that really probably uh, helped that snowball effect uh, as well. And then, of course, you had that little pop back up with buyers buying the dip, Elon Musk's diamond hands tweet perhaps contributing to some of that as well. I think the big question here going forward is, is this just another one of those blips before Bitcoin hits another all time high? Some a characteristic we've seen in previous bull markets, or is this crypto winter 2.0? I think that's what we're going to be watching out going forward, guys.
0: Arjun, just before we let you go, just just a quick one on the exchanges. I mean, we could go many places with this, but I think we talked a lot yesterday about the Chinese position uh, currently with regard to the mining of Bitcoin. So let's not go over that ground, even though that's still very relevant to what these currencies are doing right now. But I, I want to ask you about execution, because surely that must cause a few jitters as well among those who are holding significant positions. It seems that neither Coinbase or Binance, the big exchanges that transact uh, all of these cryptocurrencies, suffered service outages at the peak of the uh, um, activity, shall we say, uh, yesterday as there were many buyers and many sellers. How big a cause for concern is this among the crypto community?
4: Yeah, I think that's certainly dented some sentiment in these uh, exchanges. No doubt some in the crypto community are going to be looking around perhaps for alternatives that that might be able to handle. I had a, a sort of conversation uh, this morning with uh, one of the executives at another exchange who said that they managed, they did suffer some problems, but not as bad as Coinbase. and others. So it seemed like something that was widespread, which is interesting because these are the exchanges that are supposed to be sort of front and center at the trading of these new potential asset classes uh, as well. So I think it is, it is a big concern at this point. I think it's dented a lot of confidence in them. The question is, is when undoubtedly there is another one of these big volatility phases ahead will they be able to sort of fix up their act will they be able to fix the problems they had and essentially uh, you know be able to maintain operation because again if they can't i think it's going to cause a lot of problems uh, you know you may even get a little bit of regulatory scrutiny at that point as well certainly the u.s regulators are looking at all of these exchanges they're looking at Uh, the Bitcoin trading space as well. So uh, lots of questions that these exchanges need to answer at this point. Thank you very much indeed for that, Arjun, as well. So uh, yeah, and, and
1: I'm sure a lot of you out there will be doing the same as Karen and I just did. Furiously Googling diamond hands. Using
2: a search engine, <laughs> yes. Using
1: uh, other search engines available. I don't know, would you use I, Bing or something? I don't know.
2: I did like you. <laughs> that is one of the other main alternatives. <laughs> Very low market share at this point. But we, you thought it might be a, a gambling term, which was a good guess, yeah, but not quite on the mark. No.
1: What does it mean again? It's basically traders who believe in the eventual profitability of their stocks and securities and keep holding them while the value drops.
2: Someone who refuses to sell and doesn't really know about the actual price
1: with the uh, about
2: a expectation the they'll be
1: extremely valuable like a diamond. Right. There you go. I thought it was about cut. Um, there you go. So I bet we're not the only ones who did that. I bet a load of you did that as well. <laughs> or didn't want you to appear stupid with whoever you're sitting with. I don't mind appearing stupid. That's so why I do it for 15 hours a week. Uh, right, okay. Coming up on this show, the Fed gives, well, a teeny weeny hint of a hint that it could look to taper its asset purchase program. We'll bring you the latest next, Karen.
2: And for more on Bitcoin's roller coaster ride on Wednesday, check out the Squawkbox podcast. The Federal Reserve has given the first signal that it could reconsider its ultra-loose policy. Minutes from the FOMC's April meeting showed governors indicating it may be appropriate to begin talks on how to adjust its QE program if the economy continues its rapid improvement. But officials did not give a timeline on when this debate could begin. But the messaging for markets that they've not been tone deaf to this conversation that many market participants and economists have been having about the stimulus and the impact on inflation was uh, welcomed by some quarters of the market, uh, not just the sell-off. That you saw in some of those big momentum stocks and asset classes but also on bond markets you've got a little bit of a move on the u.s 10-year yield from 1.64 at the start Uh, of the session Tuesday to 1.68 yesterday. So about four basis point move and you can see we've given some of that back. So so nothing to really spook the bond markets, but there was a little bit of steepening we've noted even over the course of this week leading up to the minutes. A quick look at the dollar. We've seen a little bit of action there too versus uh, some of the other major currencies, including the Japanese yen. The dollar has risen through its 20-day moving average versus the yen, the Aussie and also the Kiwi dollar. Elsewhere, if you take a look at euro dollar, we've also drifted off some of the highs that we had. The twenty-two mark supported morning session and flat, as you can see, versus sterling at this point. Jeff.
0: Let's bring in Eric Norland, then, senior economist at the CME Group. Eric, very good morning to you. I guess the most important question for the markets right now is, do we need to recalibrate our expectations as to the timing of the first move to tighten or indeed to taper?
5: Yeah, that's a really good question. And the markets did seem to recalibrate that a little bit yesterday in sort of the belly of the curve and five, seven, 10-year bonds. You wind up seeing bond yields going up by about four basis points or so across that part of the curve. Um, I think the Federal Reserve hasn't really decided what it's going to do. So yesterday, it kind of had a discussion about having a discussion about tapering. Um, And I think the horns of their dilemma are pretty clear. Um, On the one hand, the labor market is not improving as quickly as they had hoped, uh, which gives them a bit of pause on the idea of tightening. On the other hand, I think the surge in inflation and prices has exceeded their expectations or just about anybody's expectations. And that may be pushing them um, in the direction of reconsidering some of this ultra easy monetary policy.
0: Well, given that this this fed and, uh, and this Treasury secretary are all about labor economics, um, let me ask you this question: Do you believe the narrative that people are not going back to the job market because unemployment benefits are currently too high?
5: Um, I think that there, i think it 's a complex narrative, so I think that that is one sort of component in this, which is that um, unemployment benefits are, are quite generous at the moment. Um, and for maybe about uh, one third of people who could potentially be going back to the labor force, so um, unemployment benefits may pay more than what they would receive. If they went back to work, but I think there's more to it than that, uh, which is that we still have an ongoing pandemic. You know, in the United States, we still have, you know, well over 10,000 new COVID cases per day. We have, you know, hundreds of people dying of it per day on average. Um, and a lot of the remaining people who could potentially go back to work would be asked to work in very crowded environments like restaurants. Um, so there is a, still a sort of pandemic component to this. That's sort of interacting with those generous unemployment benefits and maybe holding back recovery temporarily.
1: Eric, I I agree with something you said in your first answer, and I disagree with it. You said you think the uh, inflation has exceeded the Fed expectations. I think it probably has. But where's your evidence? Where's my evidence that it's exceeded their expectations? Because they're not giving us any clues on that front. And I think it's very important to know whether it has, because they're saying it's transient, it's transient, it's it's one off factors, it's base factors. But they're not telling us uh, that they actually believe it's gone past where they thought it was. But I agree with you. I think they probably do think that, though.
5: Well, I think that the 9 tenths of 1% surge in uh, core inflation um, in April did come as a surprise to many people. That was a big jump. And I think that uh, what is surprising maybe to to everybody is the degree to which these bottlenecks are pushing prices higher. Um, And you're seeing so many different ones. You're seeing it in the lumber market. You're seeing it in raw materials. um, You're seeing it in the problems we're seeing with shipping. Um, And I think it's becoming more and more evident that these problems are not limited to just one month and that they may persist um, at least for another three or four months. And so I think the question that the Fed is grappling with is, does inflation take root beyond, say, the month of September or October? Um, At what point do these supply problems kind of get sorted out and everything goes back to normal? That's a really, really important question. I don't think anybody knows the answer to yet.
2: Eric, we saw yesterday a very strong response in some quarters of the market and not necessarily on bond markets. We had that four basis point move at the 10 year, but on some of the big moving stocks on the markets, uh, the technology high flyers, but also across on on cryptocurrencies. Do you think that's a sign of too much liquidity in the market that it is time for some of that liquidity to be let out and and released elsewhere so we don't have overinflated assets down the track?
5: Well, you know, I think that the technology stocks in particular are a concern because they seem to, in their pricing of those, of those companies, they seem to um, have essentially discounted future earnings back into the present um, you know, for very, very far out into the future, which makes those future earnings um, extremely sensitive. To long-term interest rates. And so as long-term interest rates rise, the net present value of those future earnings begins to decline. Uh, So I think that the tech stocks in particular, any highly valued company, even outside of the tech sector, um, becomes extremely sensitive to the level of long-term interest rates. Uh, For cryptos, they may be driven by other factors. I'm I'm not sure they're as sensitive to interest rates as the tech stocks are.
2: Can I ask you about the makeup of the board then as we talk about tapering, because I'm just looking at a cheat sheet on uh, doves versus hawks, not something we've had to worry about for some time. But effectively for this year, you've got a, a ton of doves versus hawks. Then as the voting rotation changes by 2022, you get even more doves than hawks. What does that suggest in terms of reluctance to move on tapering and tightening down the track?
5: Well, yeah, I think that the Fed does have a very dovish orientation. And you're right. They they, um, they are very focused on the labor market. So I think that the, maybe the most important single component is the labor market. And you know, for the labor market, too, I think the month of September is really, really key. Um, in September, you start seeing a lot of these extra generous unemployment benefits expiring. Um, we'll have to see where we are with the pandemic by then. We don't know, obviously. Uh, but if we have less generous unemployment benefits and if we have um, a dramatic reduction in the number of new cases, um, and we start seeing the labour force really getting back to normal this fall, um, then you know, even if people in general are very, are very dovish, it may eventually start pushing them in a the direction of tighter monetary policy.
1: Eric, if anyone knows the answer to this question, it's you, ladies and gentlemen, over at the CME. Um, how far are some of these prices, such as lumber, which I think our team is going to get up for us now, these prices being exacerbated by small open interest and speculators, because the Fed needs to look at all this data and start saying, "Well, hang on a second. Some of that's real demand, and some of that is a very liquid product that is being pushed up by people who are trying to get a reaction from
5: us." So, I think that the I think that the lumber market in particular is really being driven by fundamentals, and the real choke point in lumber is the lack of sawmills. Um, I mean, we we have not increased the capacity of sawmills; they're all running at Um, at full capacity. At the same time, consumers have not been able to spend money on experiences, at least not up until the last few weeks. Um, And they've been saving a tremendous amount of money. And some of that money is going into home construction and home improvement. Uh, So you're seeing this tremendous demand for uh, lumber, but at the same time, the sawmills can't keep pace with that demand. So I think that this is really being driven by fundamentals.
1: Eric, you didn't answer my question about speculators. You you, uh, talked about the fundamentals, which I appreciate, but it's a small open interest product as well. uh, And and we know that there are a lot of speculators involved there. So is it possible that the speculators are looking at the fundamentals you mentioned and actually pushing it way beyond what actually the supply and demand dynamic would dictate?
5: Well, you know, we hear this argument in our markets a lot. I think it's a difficult question to answer. Um, But, you know, the thing is, if, if, People in the market, if investors in the market were to push prices beyond where they, uh, you know, where the fundamentals justify, eventually the market will come back to reality. And people who are invested the wrong way could be on the hook, you know, when markets correct. So I think that I think it's a difficult argument to to make. Um, yeah, so I, I'm a little skeptical of that of that argument.
0: Uh, we've got to wrap it up, Eric, but nice to see you this morning. And thanks so much for taking our questions. Eric Norland, uh, senior economist for the CME Group. Um, while we're on the subject of uh, interest rates and inflation, let's talk about the ECB. The vice president, Louis de Guindos, has told CNBC the central bank will step in if it believes a rise in bond yields to be, quote, Unwarranted, but not if it's deemed part of a broader economic recovery. De Guindos was speaking to Germana as part of the ECB's latest financial stability review, in which he outlined the key risk factors for the euro area.
3: If the increase in yields is unwarranted, then, uh, you know, we will we will act. If the increase in yields is the consequence of the normalisation of the economy, then, you know, it's something that uh, you know is going to be part of, uh, let's say, broader framework if there is a recovery going on uh, if uh, you know inflation starts uh, to 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 go up and to normalize and uh, you know economic activity then nominal yields will have to go to go to go, to go up so uh, this is going to be part of you know a broader a broader analysis so favorable financing conditions will will be data dependent it will depend on the evolution of the, of the of the of the of the of the economy and the normalization of the of the of the economy so uh, the question that you know we addressed for instance in the past is when you know this increase in nominal yields was warranted and was uh, only a reflection of what's, what's happening in the in the in the us without having you know any sort of uh, concrete uh, basis of fundamentals in the european market but if there is a recovery if the outlook improves If the inflation outlook improves, then we will see, you know, normalization in terms of, uh, you know, nominal yields.
2: Right. Um, But this rise in nominal yields has also occurred while the ECB have stepped up their bond buying program and have increased the amount of pet purchases on a weekly and monthly basis. Is it right to assume then that this was misplaced ammunition?
3: No, not at all. I think that, you know, our action was uh, totally, totally coherent with uh, the evolution of... uh, of uh, of uh, of the economy i'm for sure that uh, you know in the future we will analyze you know different you know how uh, you know favorable financing conditions are and again, you know this will depend on the, on, the, on, the, on the broader economy on the evolution of the economy if uh, you know the, the European economies start to reopen, if the European economies start to recover and we hope that they are going to recover. Uh, I remember that our growth rate, according to our latest uh, you know, projections, is a growth rate of four percent in, in twenty twenty one that I think that is a positive uh, figure. Uh, despite the fact that the first quarter was was negative, so in the second quarter we are we are in an inflection point. I think that we are going to see, uh, you know, positive growth in the second quarter. Our projection is that uh, you know, with the acceleration of vaccination, the second half of the year will be will be will be positive. We have seen an increase in in, in inflation that was embedded in our projections. I have to remember that uh, uh, well. Uh, our our we, we projected that because of base uh, effects, because of temporary factors and technical factors, we should see. And we have seen, you know, an increase in inflation. And, uh, you know, our projections is that inflation would be, uh, you know, even above 2% at the end of the year. So uh, this is good news. This is good news. And, uh, you know, it's part of the normalization of the economic activity after the pandemic, despite the fact that, uh, you know, we are not uh, at the level of uh, output that we had, uh, you know, at the end of 2019.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.